What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 135 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it is my honor to welcome you on this leadership journey as we're all seeking to be leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, I hope you and your family had a great Easter weekend. What a time to celebrate the life change that happened because Jesus not only died on a Friday, but he got up and walked out of a tomb on a Sunday, defeating sin and death once and for all. And we get life because of it. You know, I love to hear the stories of life change. There's just nothing like it. In fact, in one of our services, we shared the story of life change. And as I look back on on the 30 plus years that I've been in full-time ministry, I can remember so many stories that stick out. I can't imagine being Dr. Billy Graham. Can you imagine literally preached all over the world, watched hundreds of thousands of people place their faith in Christ because of your willingness to be obedient. I never got to meet Dr. Graham here on this side of heaven, but you know, there's a lot of questions I would have loved to have asked him if I could. Well, since I didn't get to meet Dr. Graham, I wanted to meet somebody who knew him intimately today. In this episode of Lynch with a Leader, we sit down with Dr. Don Wilton. Dr. Wilton is the senior pastor of First Baptist Church of Spartanburg, South Carolina. He's president of the Encouraging Word television ministry. He's been a professor. He's a pastor. But more than that, he became a friend of Dr. Billy Graham. He has authored a brand new book called Saturdays with Billy about his time at Dr. Graham's residence in North Carolina as they sat and they talked about scripture and they talked about life and they talked about eternity. This is one for the books. My time with Dr. Wilton was so refreshing, so encouraging. And when you find out what somebody is like up close, it makes you want to know him even more. And I feel that way about Dr. Wilton, and I certainly feel that way about how he talked about Dr. Billy Graham. So on this week post-Easter, what a time to be encouraged in our faith. And I believe this is going to be great encouragement to you, not only in your faith, but as you lead in this season of life. God has designed you and equipped you uniquely for this season, and hopefully this will help you in your journey. So I want you to do me a favor, and I want you to pull up a chair, and I want you to listen into my conversation with Dr. Don Wilton about Saturdays with Billy. Well, Dr. Wilton, thank you so much for joining me today on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you. 
It's a wonderful privilege to be with you, Mike. Thank you for having me, brother. Well, this is this is going to be fun. I remember years ago hearing you. I was a student. I was a master's student in New Orleans here at having your class, and it was so much fun. Now, what I did know, and I've heard you share a little bit about this, you, of course, didn't grow up in South Carolina. I think we all picked that up from your accent. <laughs> Tell everybody a little bit of your background and how you came to know Christ. Well, Mike, I, you know, you're right. Everybody talks about my southern accent, you know. <laughs> You'd think after 44 years that I'd learned how to talk properly, you know. But, uh, no, I was born uh, in South Africa, actually in Zululand on the Upper East Coast and grew up in a wonderful family, very adventurous life. <laughs> you know, I never saw television set until I was 20 years old, you know, and... I mean, just absolutely unbelievable. And, uh, but, you know, I, I finally, you know, got out of, uh, you know, high school and everybody in the land in which I live, much like Vietnam, um, uh, we were, we all had to go off to military service and I became a tank commander, was sent off into Southwest Africa uh, in the desert and then the, the Angolan Civil War, um, then came home to Civvy Street and this is in the early 1970s, end of the 60s, 70s, so I'm aging myself. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, went to church the first day on Civvy Street and, and saw this most beautiful girl who's been my wife now for the past 45 years. Wow. You know? She, Mike, had an incredible uh, influence. Not only did I fall in love with her physically, so to speak, but uh, she just loved the Lord and... Uh, she had such an influence in my life and my life. I, I had an encounter with the Lord Jesus, brother, as a young man in my early 20s. Uh, I'd been doing a lot of studies and all that kind of stuff. And uh, very shortly thereafter, God called both of us into the gospel mm. ministry. And we were being visited by a, a gentleman from Mississippi uh, by the name of Dr. J. Roy McComb. I could hardly understand him, you know. <laughs> And uh, little spell Mississippi, and uh, you know he walked up to me because someone told him. He said, "Man, young man, you need to come to America. You know we mm. have seminaries you can do and earn PhD and all." It really got my attention. Uh, and long story short, brother, we sold up everything, and uh, in the early seventies, we came over to the United States. Had no intention of staying in America. Uh, and I, I went to the beautiful New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. I had no idea I'd become a member of the faculty there and have such a love affair. <laughs> had no amazing. idea that my, my middle son has just been named Dean of Level Chapel. Has he Park. really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. My son, Dr. Greg Wilton, has just been named. He's beginning his ministry there. And he was born and raised on that campus, as That's was my fantastic. oldest son, Rob, who preaches all over the country, and my daughter, who uh, loves the Lord and lives overseas, been serving with some persons in South Sudan and so on and so forth. So God, you know, God is a great God, Mike, isn't he? And isn't what he's he? looking for is a surrendered life. Mm. And when you surrender your life, he takes you and he gives to you that leadership capacity to make an impact on everyone else you meet. And that's all 
I thank the Lord for is the opportunity to share Christ and to have an impact on other people's lives. That is real leadership. And that's what motivates me so much. You know, when, when that happened, you moved to the States, you surrender your life to the Lord. How did you feel like, cause we're looking back now in the rearview mirror, we're not out the front windshield. We're looking back in the rearview mirror of your life. How did you think at that time, the Lord was going to use you? What did you think? I mean, you're, you're looking at yourself. You're a tank commander. You're coming from South Africa. You have no background in religious stuff. How did you think at that time, the Lord would use you? Mike, in all honesty, I had no idea mm. uh, because I did not have the privilege of seeing tomorrow. But I do think looking in the rearview mirror that both my wife and I understood the meaning of surrender. Mm. Now, I know that sounds somewhat braggadocious, if I might say so. It sounds like I'm feathering my own. But you, you're saying to me, yeah. look, I'm looking back, okay, yeah. over 45 years now. And I can tell you that I do know that the deepest intent of my heart and my wife, Karen, was to just simply be available to mm. the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot follow Christ and not be totally sold out to him. What part of surrender involves holding back? That's right. What part of fellowship means you serve your own interest? Now, that's relative. We love, I love everything, man. I love football. I love uh, fishing, man. I used to love going down those bayous in Louisiana and catching redfish, and I still do, and I love good food, you know, and, and I love my kids and my grandkids. But that does not take away from the fact that Jesus said, you want to follow me? Give it up. Mm. Forsake all and follow me. And the Bible even says you've got to go to the point at which you are willing to walk away from your family, from your parents, from the things that you hold in your heart. Here's the irony, Mike. You walk away from that toward Christ, and he gives you back more than you had to begin with. That's right. Because he fulfills the desires of your heart. But many of us today belong to the one foot club. We've got men everywhere who've got one foot in God's kingdom and they keep one foot in the world and they wonder why they've got split personalities and they never experience the fullness of God by his spirit. It's because they're not sold out. Get your foot out of the world, put it into the world of Jesus Christ and God will give you the world mm. Mm. because it's his world. That's right. That's so he good. our blessings. And if people would just be surrendered. So now we're looking in the rearview mirror here, and I'm saying to myself, yes, I do think that Karen and I, even in our total understand misunderstanding or ignorance, we came to America with two suitcases in our hands, $1,400 in our pockets. We landed in New York City with nowhere to go. We knew nobody. And we said, here I am, Lord, use mm, me. Mm. We never said we'd stay in America. I never said I'd go to New Zealand or to England. Jolly right, I wanted to go to England because I wanted to play cricket and I wanted to at least drive on the right side of the road <laughs> and be able to eat chips <laughs> instead of French fries and, and be able to drink jolly good cups of tea. 
You know, of course I wanted that. I was British in my background. But goodness me, I wouldn't trade being in the United States, my children, the heritage, this beautiful nation from sea to shining sea today. As I look back in the rearview mirror, how did this happen? Surrender yourself right. to the Lord Jesus. Mm. And, and that surrender, I love that theme because that surrender got you from what you thought you were going to do, staying in New Orleans, to First Baptist Church, Spartanburg, South Carolina. I mean, you leave beautiful, the beautiful confines of Cajun country to go to South Carolina, where they also don't always understand somebody from South Africa. But God gets you there. And in that move, you preach your very first sermon at a church, First Baptist Church, Spartanburg, South Carolina, and received a phone call that really, in a lot of ways, changed not the course of your life, but definitely changed a piece of your life. Tell everybody a little bit about the phone call that you got in the pastor study after your message there. I will, I will never forget it. Uh, Mike, I, we, we, our church was on regional television. Walked back to my study on that first day, uh, very first day, and uh, my phone rang. And the voice on the other side said, uh, this is Billy Graham here. And uh, if you'll beg my pardon, I can't remember all the things, but it was, you know, yes, you know, and I'm the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church. And, uh, you know, all the other things came to mind, but something deep in my heart said to me, you know, this voice certainly <laughs> sounds like Billy Graham, you know, and I, I, uh, it was, it was Dr. Graham and Mrs. Graham. They were calling ostensibly to welcome me to the pulpit. They'd watched the service on television. And we had the most incredible conversation. And at the end of the conversation, he said to me, I was just wondering whether you could possibly find time to come up and visit us at our home in Montreat. <laughs> well, tongue in cheek, it's amazing how I changed my entire schedule, you know. <laughs> All of a sudden, uh, nothing else seemed to be quite as It important. freed up. I don't know what happened. Everything I just freed just, up. I became freed up. You know, everybody knew how busy and how important I was. You That's know? right. That's right. Well, the next day, I drove up to Montreat to the office, and I was taken up in this these black limos and cars with antennas on. And Oh, man, Mike, I, I will spend the rest of my life trying to figure out how for the next 25 years mm. uh, I was able to sit at the feet of this most amazing man of God mm. and why God would ever have allowed me that privilege. I'll spend the rest of my life thanking Jesus for that, Mike. I, I've ne I learned so much sitting at the feet. I, I learned from this man what it means to be a real leader for Christ. Mm. That's what I learned. And, you know, when I wrote Saturdays with Billy after his death, you know, Mike, you're going to find me stumbling around. Now I'm a man sometimes of too many words, but when it comes to some of the things that God has done for me, what can you say? Mm -hmm. And uh, it just flowed out of my heart, brother. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had had the privilege for all those years of, traveling up there and being with him and being surrounded by some of the most famous people in the world from athletes to politicians. And, you know, Mr. Graham's life of prime ministers and presidents and kings and queens. 
And to watch this man lead like Jesus mm, mm. Uh, in a very real way. And added to that, Mike, my relationship as his personal friend and then as his pastor, I was with him privately mm. for the majority of the time. And our conversations ran deep. Uh, this, this was not, uh, nine times out of 10, there were no crowds there, Brother Mike. This was not in a stadium. Uh, this was not, uh, if you'll beg my pardon, there was nobody out there to impress or mm, to mm. Uh, incline towards one ear or one's ear or to one's understanding. God gave me uh, the opportunity to be able to be invited into the heartbeat, mm. the inside of, of a man that had been used so mightily of the Lord across the world. Mm. And that's what Saturdays with Billy really is all about. It's not a biography, as you know, that's right. many biographies, wonderful biographies. You can Google Dr. Billy Graham anywhere in the world. I just got back from England preaching for the Billy Graham Association over there last week, uh, met hundreds, thousands of people, everybody. They come from every walk of life. Uh, you can find anything you want to about Billy Graham. But this book, Saturdays with Billy, is about the man. Mm. It's about the leader. It's about this man who made such an indelible mark on the hearts of countless numbers of people, from the least of them right. to the greatest of them, because his leadership, leading like Jesus, enabled Billy Graham to touch people regardless of who they were or where they came from or the color of their skin or their nationality or their culture. He led like Jesus because Jesus was the one to whom Billy Graham owed everything. He was a debtor to Christ, mm -hmm. his Savior and Lord. And I have so much that I can talk about in that regard, as you know. What changed the most? I mean, you so you arrive at First Baptist Spartanburg. You are you're a national speaker at this time. You've traveled the country. You have been in New Orleans, trained hundreds of students, thousands of students. You're known. Here you show up as a new pastor. He he listens. He and Miss Ruth listen. What changed the most about you as a Christ follower, as a leader, as a husband, as a dad from your time with Dr. Graham? How did that time shape that part of you during those years? That's such a, a deeply penetrating question, Mike. May I suggest to you, and I think that that those who have grown to love me or to have been around me. I've been in my church for 29 years mm. and uh, they would be a better judge of that. Mm. But may I suggest to honor your question, my sitting with Dr. Billy Graham gave me a God-given opportunity to see myself in a fresh way. Mm. It was like looking into a mirror in which was Dr. Billy Graham. But it was when I 
sat with him and walked with him and talked with him, prepared sermons with him, wrote books with him, uh, went to places with him, ate countless wonderful meals with him, laughed our heads off together with him, played with the dogs with him, putted golf balls down the passageway with him, interacted with him. God began to give me a picture of myself. And spiritual leaders cause that. I think the essential mark of spiritual leadership is not the leader himself. It is rather those that are looking at the spiritual leader. That's the mark of spiritual leaders. Mm. So as I grew in my relationship, my love for and my interaction uh, with Dr. Billy Graham, God caused me and allowed me by his grace to persistently look into my own heart mm, mm. from God's perspective because I was looking at God's servant. So I would see this leadership, which was so unequivocal and so powerful in this man, and I would begin to see that in the light of my own life. So in direct answer to your question, <laughs> which is difficult for me to say, I think one of those things that God began to deal with me was my own pride. Mm. Because there was no pride in mm. Mr. Graham. Now, Mike, just if, if I may, brother, please interrupt me. This, this doesn't make sense because here's a man that is listed in the, in the top five of who's who in the world for 60 consecutive years. This is a man that presidents come to him. He doesn't go to them. This is a man that the Queen of England calls his home to chat with him. This is a man that is visited by people that you and I would correctly regard in a very, the athletes. I mean, you mm. talk about famous athletes, golfers, baseball players, Mike. Uh, these guys that you and I would beat the bushes down and then some to try and even get close to, to get an autograph from them. Mm. Mm. They would come to see Mr. Graham and they would line up and wait to get in the door. But he was so humble. There was no pride in him. There was nothing in Mr. Graham that said, look at me. Mm, mm. Well, I would meet with Mr. Graham and I would see him and listen to him and interact with him and have the opportunity on occasion to see him with these other people. But I would see him interacting with the man who came to collect the garbage from the house and the man who cut the lawn and the window cleaner, as well as the prime ministers and the presidents. And Mr. Graham was so humble. Mm. If, if I may say, Mike, and if you would beg my pardon for a moment, brother, and if I may say to, to our listening audience today, if you were to ask, what is the picture of Don Wilton and Billy Graham sitting together, having a cup of tea or eating ribs 
together. What, what does that picture look like? Here's the picture. I want you to really get a hold of this. That picture of Don Wilton, Dr. Billy Graham. Here's the picture. It's a picture of a nobody mm. who really thought he was a somebody talking to a somebody who really thought he was a nobody. Mm. Mm. Everything was backwards. Now, I'm going to tell you something, and, 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 you, and our listeners today can laugh their heads off. Get ready to fall off your chair. And if, you, if you're listening right now, don't, don't, don't end it. Listen, you ready for this? If you'd be in a fly on the wall at any time over these almost 25 years, whether we were in the bedroom, the study, the kitchen, walking, restaurant, wherever it was, you were a fly on the wall. I promise you, you would have thought I was the most important person in the room. Mm. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Is that not the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard in your life? Most people, that, I mean, we'd have people come up there and Mr. Graham would say, meet my pastor Don. They'd say, Don who? <laughs> <laughs> who? 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 Don what? Wilton what? Where do you come from? You know? Uh you know, and then, of course, I'd always tell them I'm from Louisiana, and some of them, especially from the northern states, they'd say, oh, I thought you sounded like a Cajun. <laughs> I mean, these guys had no, had no idea. You know, I, you would have thought the way Mr. Graham talked to me, Mike, and treated me and honored me, you would have thought I was the important person. Now, have you ever heard anything more utterly preposterous in your entire life? Mm. But I'm going to tell you that it's true. You know, you said something in the book I thought was so interesting. And I think it's the mark of a great leader who doesn't think of themselves like a leader. You said, he asked me so many questions. He always was asking me questions. And I remember years ago on this podcast, I was interviewing a gentleman and he said, everybody in life has two choices. We can be interested or we want to be interesting. Yes. And Dr. Graham was truly interested in you. What did it tell you about his heart that he was so interested in whoever he was with? Because I have a feeling whoever sat in that chair next probably said the exact same thing about him. What was it in him that caused that inquisitiveness? And for you, and, and it even goes back to one of your other statements when you called him Dr. Graham, and he said, just call me Billy. Yeah. yeah, yeah what absolutely. was it about him that caused that, you think? First of all, to the day he died, he never considered himself any more than a sinner saved mm -hmm. by the grace of God. Now, Mike, that is 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 so profound. Mm, mm. In, in our Christian world today, the spiritual elitism is destroying the fabric Amen. of the evangelical church. We've got so, uh, please don't hear this as a criticism, but we've got so many Christian brothers who are so important that they, they, they cannot help but strut around exuding their importance. Mr. G <laughs> Please allow me to say, 
if anybody had a right from my <laughs> point of view to do a little strutting. That's so good. That's so you're spot on. You I are not, I, I there were many times he'd 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 be mortified because he said something or so and he'd look at me and he'd say, Oh, Don, I I really didn't mean to come across like that. And I'd I'd say to him, I'm telling you, I'd say to him, Brother Billy, it's okay, you can strut a little bit, you know. <laughs> You know, you know what I'm trying to say. It's oh. like, please have a go, have a great strut. You know, Mr. Graham saw himself first and foremost as a sinner saved by the grace of God. You know, just as an aside, and I, and I think I mentioned this in Saturdays with Billy. Um, posted in his home in in a number of strategic places was Galatians chapter six and verse fourteen. Yep. Um, and you know, even when I preached his funeral service, I, that's the text I used because it was so profound to him. I'm not going to boast in any other, other than Jesus. Well, what does that mean? This was his modus operandus. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. I, I remember one time we're sitting there doing something, preparing a, speech he had to make up in Washington or something like that. And we got onto this passage and I said, I, you know, I said, let's talk about this. And he said, he said, what about, what about being dead suggests any semblance of life? So I said, Mr. Graham, what do you mean by that? He said, well, Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. He said, how do you become crucified and yet continue to be alive at the same time? accepting in Christ. That's right. right. So here's that delicate balance. Now, don't, I don't want our listeners to get the wrong impression here. This is not presenting you the picture of some soppy, um, wobbly piece of jello who, who just lies there and wobbles around whichever direction the wind is blowing. We all know that was not Dr. Graham. Mm. His spiritual leadership was the strongest thing I've ever seen. His words were action, power-packed. Listen, he was, quote-unquote, president and CEO of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, of which I'm a member of the board of directors today. Listen, Dr. Graham led one of the largest organizations in the world, and if you don't think he led it, he did. But he led it like Jesus. Mm. There's a difference between a self-projecting, prideful leadership and a humble, Christ-like leadership. The operative word in both cases is leadership. That's right. God never calls us to be leaders and to lie down and let everybody walk around and slap us around a little bit. Some of us need to stand up and be counted for righteousness. Mm-hmm. But we need to do it, as Dr. Graham taught me, with a spirit of Christ-likeness. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Graham, by the spirit of God, believed that he was a sinner. He never lost sight of his own unworthiness. <laughs> but he yet, yeah, but he lived in that tension of his unworthiness 
but accepted in God's grace. Correct. In that spiritual tension he lived with, most people can never, they're either one or the other. They cannot yeah. find that. It's a it's such a unique thing to find. So in that, in that, he taught me about this thing called the daily walk. Mm. And 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 he he showed me uh, an, an area you were asking me about my own life, and I said in the area of pride and, and humility. And 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 in the area of of your, one's own personal self disciplines, mm. Mr. Graham was personally self disciplined. I came to understand how personally undisciplined I was. Amen. Now, this is an interesting subject, Mike, on a leadership, because because to say that I'm not a disciplined person is not exactly right because all of us have hallmarks of our discipline mm. brother that that's not let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater but a spiritual discipline carries with it a perpetual willingness to be submissive to the commandments of the Lord Jesus in fact you know 1 John uh, chapter two tells us that you know that you know you're in Christ if you are willing to be obedient to his commands. That's a hallmark of our Christian discipleship. Mr. Graham lived that out, and it was a passion within him not only to be perpetually reminded as to the deep meaning of his endowed grace which means that the grace of God covered him. What's mm. God's grace? That he was undeserving mm. of anything, and yet he was the full recipient of everything. That's right. He was undeserving of anything, but at the same time, he was the full recipient of everything that mm. God gave to him. There's a fresh, I'm not preaching here, I'm trying not to, but there's a great definition of the imputed righteousness of Christ. It's what Christ does for me and in me. Right. I'm alive in, in Christ. And Mr. Graham, Mr. Graham walked with Jesus. Now, Mike, even, even in the book there, without violating the sanctity of our, our relationship, I could have written another 10 books on, on our relationship. And, uh, but I even got a little section there on, on Mr. Graham's regrets, talking yeah. about him. I was with, Mr. Graham was a grandfather, great-grandfather, a husband who loved Miss Ruth with all of his heart. Boy, did he love his children, Franklin and, and Anne and Gigi and Ned and, and, and Ruth. I mean, just with a passion. Uh, we prayed together. I, I had the privilege of praying for his now grown uh, sons and daughters, for their spouses, for, mm. for his grandchildren, man, to hear him praying for Edward and for Will and, and, and for all the grandkids. And we would do this repeatedly. But into all of this, he was traveler. He had a body. Uh, that was subject to the aches and pains. Mm. Listen, wearisomeness, exhaustion. He was gone from home for months on end. He was subject to uh, to 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 fatigue uh, at the highest levels possible. Mike, he 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 was uh, he was criticized, brother, 
listen, you cannot serve the Lord as a servant of the Lord Jesus and proclaim Jesus and not expect to be criticized. Mm. Listen, the world is going to come after you. You be a spiritual leader, get ready. Put on the armor of God. Uh, Paul told the church at Ephesus, leaders, put mm. on the armor of God so that when the devil comes, not if the devil comes, he is going to nail your hind leg to the floorboard. And I'll tell you, that old devil tried to do everything he could to get Mr. Graham from every angle you could imagine. So mm. my relationship with him was talking about, talking through, dealing with discouragement, dealing with the aches and pains, dealing with the things that he felt uh, were not measuring mm. up to what he felt this, but he dealt with it in such a real personal way that I saw the triumphant rising up of the power of the Spirit of God within this incredible man that translated this into the beauty of the wholeness and the fullness of a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, in so much of it, it, the book is phenomenal, and I hope everybody listening will go and get this book. It is so good. I know I downloaded the Kindle version. You've got it on. Uh, you've got it on audio book. You can download the hard copy. You can order the hard copy. So so good. And there, are, I mean, there's stories in there about Winston Churchill. There's stories in there. There is just full of great great stories. Yeah. Two things as we wrap up today. One that spoke so much out of that funeral service was the casket he was in mm. this, mm. this, this is unbelievable. Who made Dr. Wilton, who made the casket? This three, three condemned felons at Angola state penitentiary in Louisiana made the casket into which we placed the body of Dr. Billy Graham. Mm. And the message of that was so powerful. Mm. And you know, Mike, and I'll tell you this very briefly, just moments before the president of the United States and the first lady and the vice president and the second lady walked in to speak to the family just moments before the funeral, I walked over, and there's a picture, by the way, in Saturdays with Billy. We put that in there, the Billy Graham Association. We put that in the book. And I walked over, and I stood at that very casket. And I had a private conversation with dear brother Billy. I, I wish I could tell you my conversation, tears rolling down my mm -hmm. cheeks. And as I spoke to him, just moments before going out where millions of people would be listening from around the world. And just before, as the president, he was coming into the room. All of a sudden, the sun hit the cross at the library, the beautiful Billy Graham Library in Charlotte, North Carolina. And that sun sent a blazing, emblazoned cross from my back. And you can see it in the picture. And it came over. It's like it leapt over the top of my head and the sun touched the top end of the casket and ran the length of the casket like it it didn't touch me it went over me my shadow should have been over the top of the casket mm. but it didn't do it i believe god sent 
the sun, the physical sun, and it blazed over and it spread over. And when it did that, I said, I said, Lord Jesus, thank you for Dr. Billy Graham, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. This man who boasted in none other than the cross of Christ Jesus. And it was as though, Mike, to me, to me, it was as though God was smiling down from heaven saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And I began to back off and I turned around and walked over and shook the hand of the president of the United States of America. And we then went out in the procession. And when we walked out, it was cold that day when we walked out into that huge tent on those grounds, I had this blazing warmth in my heart that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world and that by his grace and his mercy, he raised up this man, Billy Graham, to become a leader among men and that his life and testimony about Jesus would never die. Mm. It would live on forever because Jesus is alive. How refreshing and how encouraging. I know when I got off the call that day with Dr. Wilton, I just, I couldn't imagine what it was like to sit with someone who had such worldwide renown, but as he described it, just such amazing humility. I just think it gave you a glimpse and it gave you a picture of what Christ must have been like. I tell you what, I'm so thankful for this book, Saturdays with Billy, because it is just like gas to our faith to go, you know what? This is real. Heaven and hell matter. And we should give our lives to tell the story of who Jesus is. No matter what space and place we may occupy in this life, the story of Jesus is really what matters. Thank you so much, Dr. Wilton, for being such an encouragement to our faith with your new book. Man, that was good. Well, in our next episode, we'll be right back with another great leader, Dr. Roger Parrott. Dr. Parrott is the president of Belhaven University in Mississippi, and he's the author of the new book, Opportunity Leadership, and I can't wait to expose you to this new work. So if you've enjoyed this podcast today, press pause, man, go subscribe, number one, and leave a rating and review because it does help other people find their way to this encouraging time with leaders. Thanks for joining us today, and I pray you go live out and go be the leader that God created you to be in the space and the place that God has put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.